What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Ride Share Rodeo Gig News and Interviews. I'm your host, Steve. Let's get it on. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Ride Share Rodeo. Happy Halloween, everybody. Hopefully, everybody has something interesting they're doing tonight. And if not, even if you're just staying home, handing out candy, or if you're working, or if you're going out to do something, be safe out there. And if you're a rideshare driver and you are going out uh, to celebrate Halloween, use rideshare yourself going home. Um, don't drink and drive, guys. I was in the bar industry for a long time. Um, it, period, don't drink and drive. But on these holidays, be extra careful. Because if you're used to having a drink and being of the legal limit um, and driving after one beer and a glass of water, uh, this is a night where they are on the lookout for anybody. So there's extra eyes out there. So not only are you being safer, but uh, there's extra people drinking on the road on Halloween, on the night before Thanksgiving, on New Year's Eve. These are just nights that we know. I digress. How are y'all doing? So, we're going to get into the podcast here. Um, there's a story I really want to start with. So here, let me let me just let's let's see if we can get through these stories in in our hour today. So, last week uh, we're going to have to talk about some autonomous, um, and I know. We talk about it a lot, but this one's very important. It's different. Um, we are um, going to need to talk about um, gig workers and being burnt out and the study on the algorithms that was put out. Um, we are going to need to talk about, um, and this is probably what would, what would be the top story, um, the missing 13-year-old who was last seen in an Uber. And the story with this is very, is it, it's tragic. Um, obviously, Uber teen, um, you know, we all expected this a long time ago before they ever even did it. And that's why I think we all loved the fact that, you know, um, for me anyway, I've been a rideshare driver since 2015. And... I was one, you know, changes come and go, but I was always so happy about no unaccompanied minors. And I know a lot of people have been doing delivery and some are trying rideshare and whatnot. So you didn't live through a lot of the years where we were sent out to high schools and things like that to pick up people and all the cancellation and wasted time and arguments and, and even arguments with the parents whose accounts they were using. Um, it was just a never-ending thing. Um, you know, it's always something. But to launch that, we'll get into that too. But let's start off today with this. Um, so Lyft, uh, or wait, should we talk about the Lyft one or what was the other article? 
that I, okay, yeah, let's talk about the lift one first, ah, just to get a little warmed up here. So um, there's a lot of pressure right now on Lyft to sell. Now, obviously, this puts into question who who would buy Lyft, you know, I'd for those that maybe some of you guys used to listen to uh, Driver Nation with Tom Kelly, myself, and uh, numerous other guests, um, sometimes long-term guests, but we used to talk about this all the time. You know, Lyft needs to sell while they're worth something, and you know they've been public um, during the pandemic. They 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 never did anything with food delivery, even though rideshare completely died. And being that they're only in the United States and only rideshare, it really does mean about a year of time, a year plus went by with next to no business. Because if you guys remember when the CARES Act went in, in end of March of 2020, that's when the stay-at-home orders came in. Um, So even if you were a Lyft driver out there willing to work, the problem is, is there was no work to be had. It's we've talked about this before, you know, the delivery apps didn't have much volume uh, pre-pandemic, but the rideshare did. And when everybody was put at stay-at-home orders, um, you know, we were all put in fear over the pandemic. Um, We didn't know what to expect. No matter what you were doing, if you decided to get out there and, and hustle and work delivery or this, that, or the other, no matter what you were doing, most likely, if you were one of the people out there out and about working, you were not. You didn't decide to start up rideshare, and I guess that's how I'll put it. Um, so rideshare had been around since 2009 with Uber. Uh, Lyft wasn't too far behind, and now here we are, almost 15 years later, and Lyft is far from a pink mustache and a mustache ride. Um, I remember when I was driving for Lyft that there, you know, there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of, uh, um, changes that Lyft went through. And I remember I was a Uber and a Lyft driver before all the other apps were even around. Um, you know, I was just kind of splitting between the two at the time. It wasn't really multi-apping. It was more like turning one app on, even though I had them both and not the other app, because the acceptance rating at that time mattered. You guys got to remember, if you go back that far, we're talking about an actual split, an 85-15 or an 80-20 split with the company. So you were getting 80% as the driver, the company was taking 20, which is what it, the kind of model it should be, a set amount, not these various amounts where we find out that we're getting the 20, they're getting the 80 but the problem is, is that Lyft didn't do anything through all this time. Lyft didn't take up food delivery, didn't take up groceries. They just kind of sat dormant for a year. Well, now Uber acquired Corner Shop. Uber had Uber Eats. Uber had other things. You know, they, they've, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of it, but they've a few times tried, um, you know, like returning packages and, and uh, things like that and connect. And so... They're always expanding and trying to get out there, but Lyft just stuck with a rideshare company. And I think that it's a it's a proven fact that around the around the world, um, you know, big investors don't really uh, get involved in 
dispatch companies, um, whether that be taxi cab industry, ride share, whatever it be, they don't get involved with that. Um, that's not, I mean, even in history, go back as far as you want. Go back to the beginning of the medallions when the stock exchange was still around, but um, of course, but the medallions were being sold um, in New York City and stuff. Even then, the medallions had a value to the drivers, but investors weren't making loads of money off taxi companies. That's really never been a thing with dispatch. So, okay. So institutional investors um, have about 75% of the stake in Lyft. They have been influencing the company's stock price, obviously, when you have that much market share. There was a recent cap drop of $282 million, um, which if you compound that into one year for a shareholder, that's a loss of 37% of, of their investment in Lyft year to year. Um, so this, you know, when, when people see that, and I guess, again, across the board, things aren't like booming right now. There are some aspects, there are, always are, that are booming, but the economy as a whole is not booming. Lyft was already in major downward spiral, um, almost like a tailspin, to be honest, because they had reached under a billion dollars of operating capital um, or cash on hand. So, you know, they don't have brick and mortar businesses. They're basically just an operating database with an AI algorithm behind it. So, um, but uh, Lyft stocks have been, you know, they've been scrutinized to say the least. Um, but one thing that you can look at and, and this doesn't always mean it's make or break, um, but hedge funds. So hedge fund people, if you you know, I, I don't want to get into what hedge fund is, but think of it. You know, let's let's think of it because it, it, a lot of people have different meanings, and there's all kinds of in- intricacies. But overall, just think of it as like day traders. You know, they're getting in, they're getting out, they're flipping things through the day. Um, hedge funds are trying to constantly make a buck off something and flip it, you know, buy it, sell it, buy it, sell it. And they're and they're trying to like do as much as they can in a day. Almost all stocks hedge fund people are in on. This is one of the the rideshare space specifically. I'm not talking about DoorDash or any of those, but rideshare, a lot of hedge fund people have stepped away from those because if I'm sure you guys have seen articles that say, you know, Lyft is a buy, Lyft is a sell. The next day, Lyft is a buy. The next day, Lyft is a sell. And they're, and they're coming about from all kinds of good publications. The problem is, is that nobody knows how to really read these. And even the hedge fund people have stayed a little bit clear because the performance is at a minimal unstable. Um, so... What does that mean? Well, I think it just kind of it, it underscores the importance of these large shareholders and their potential impact on the ride-hailing company's future trajectory. Really, um, because listen, um, if they're not investing in these, then you're really counting on the seventy-five percent of the people who hold the major stake, the institutional investors. And even they're starting to get, you know, here we are rolling up on the holidays. 
and when you compound the the recent market drop for Lyft to 282 million, um, com- and again compounded uh, one one year shareholder loss of 70 of a, approximately 37 percent. That's huge. I mean, if you think about that. Now, obviously, these people have a lot of money. They can invest, and they probably have other ones that are making them money and ones that are losing. Overall, this year has been tough. Um, but at the same time, if they have, like, let's say all their portfolio isn't doing that well, 37% is still extremely high, even in the economy that we are currently in. That is a lot of money to be lost in one year of your stock. I mean, if you think about that, what, you're 13% away from 50%. I mean, so if you had a million dollars in Lyft, you know, now, and if you took a 37% compounded loss, you know, that's what, 370000 So you've now, so your million dollars worth of Lyft is now worth $630,000. Um, and that's one year, guys. I mean, that's that's a big... That's a big beating to take, um, a big beating to take. And I don't know, here's, my, here's the real problem of the concept is that I don't know who would buy Lyft. Um, you know, is it, I mean, is, it, is Uber going to buy Lyft? No. Is, you know, I've, I've heard people talking about things, but not the people that I think are in the know. Just people saying like, well, DoorDash should buy Lyft or DoorDash should buy Instacart. or the, But really, like, who's going to buy Lyft? There was a time that that database may have been worth something, but it's not worth anything to Uber because Uber has almost, I mean, if anything, there might be some people on Lyft that Uber doesn't have in their database, but I doubt it. Most people who have Uber or who have Lyft also have Uber or have tried both. So even if they're using Lyft, they're able to... If Lyft went out of business, people are able to go, oh, I'll just go back to Uber. Because most likely they've used Uber. Um, and if not, it. I mean, if you're, if you're using Rideshare as a customer and you're using Lyft, you at least know the name Uber. But I would imagine you've even tried the app. Now, maybe you decided Lyft for whatever reason in your city is better and you prefer that. But if it went away and you still needed the service, you would go back to Lyft, especially in such a case scenarios with the exception of some small markets where startups are launching. Um, really, it's, you know, it would become a monopoly nationwide. So a lot of pressure there. Um, and I'm not really sure, you know, putting the new CEO in place and this and that and the other. It's all just, I mean, I know that a lot of people analyze it as, can they turn it around? I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just, I'm also not, pes- I'm now also not pessimistic on this one. I'm just being a realist. And I just don't see who's going to save Lyft. Unless there's some major feature or major new thing coming out on their platform, I don't think just the little you know, paying the drivers a little more or starting to look into their safety. Guess what, guys? We're 15 years in. You you lost that you lost that chance a long time ago. Um, so those windows have been missed. Now it's what is the real value? And the market's starting to understand what these digital platform companies actually have in value, as we've seen with the Instacart IPO um, as well. So 
they're starting to learn and they're think they're saying, okay, Lyft doesn't have assets. Lyft doesn't make money. Lyft is struggling big time. Um, you know, they were in Canada. They tried to get over to other countries, but they're only in the United States now. They don't offer any other services other than uh, ride hailing. And again, dispatch companies notoriously don't make money. So if I'm an investor rolling into the holidays here, I'm going to take my Lyft money and I'm going to move it over to Uber. Now, again, I'm not a financial analyst. I am not a financial planner. I am not trying to give you guys advice. I'm telling you what I would do. If I had if I had stock in Lyft and I had to keep it in rideshare, or I was going to keep it in rideshare, I would absolutely sell that stock right now and move it over to Uber. Because Uber is not going anywhere. And there's a very, very, very good chance, especially somewhat dependent on the economy, on whether Lyft can make it or not. Because now they've fallen down to levels of it's going to be hard to operate with that little level of money. So that's just my take on it. I would hate to see that. I am loving the fact that we're seeing tons of startups uh, for ride shares locally. However, it's going to be almost next to impossible for somebody to reach a level of a Lyft or an Uber. Um, and I know that, you know, we have some legislature, we have some protocols trying to stop things like uh, Didi and um, Ola and some of the other country rideshares that are trying to tap into this market. We have some red tape really tying them up. So that's all the doing of Uber, obviously, because Uber would, in a perfect world for the United States portion anyway, Uber would love to knock Lyft out of the way, let the little guys build up, because a lot of times Uber will buy those little guys out. Um, so my hope is that some little guys have plans to move to other markets and do, and we start seeing some other ones build out because we're going to need competition, but I'm just not sure it's going to be Lyft. And, um, yeah, I, uh, you know, or, and if one of these other worldwide ones gets here, that's great, but I just don't know that when or what that that'll happen. So I guess it'll be kind of a wait and see thing. It always is, but, I am feeling less positive about Lyft right now um, on October 31st than I ever have. I really don't think that they can do this. Now, please, Lyft, prove me wrong because I would love the competition and I love you being in the gig economy and I think it's needed too because otherwise all the Lyft drivers, what are they going to do? They're going to go over to, they're probably already using both anyway, but they're all going to start turning on Uber. And that's going to almost, you know, what, 25 to 50% oversaturate your market beyond oversaturation. So there's a lot of factors going on, but, you know, hope, hopefully Lyft has a plan. The problem is, is that I haven't heard it yet. And I have people who tell me things before they hit the news. I have, you know, and not... Sometimes they don't hit the news or sometimes they don't come to fruition. But I start, I usually am like hearing about the ideas going on and there's really nothing going on at Lyft. You know, they, they talk a big game about helping drivers. Um, that's really not happening. Um, safety of drivers is always, to me, that's always a joke on both platforms because I think they use that as a, as a talking piece and a marketing ploy to get um, more people 
seeing them in the news, like, oh, look at we're doing something for safety. But if you notice, it's things like sound recording and stuff. And it's like right now, Uber's talking about like, well, hey, we're recording inside the cabs now. Well, that news is really only catching the attention of new drivers. I've been around since 2015. That story has been circulating for five years. It just circulates in rotation. It's like it'll circulate for two, three weeks, then it goes away for a year, and then it comes back, and they make it sound like this whole new program. Like, hey, we never thought of this before, but we're going to do this. And really, I've seen that story come back around three, four times. And it's just to keep their name in the news. You got to remember, a lot of these companies do have affiliation with news outlets. So as I got, as I often tell you guys, you can go to rideshareradio.com, which is aka um, uberliftdrivers.com. And uh, you can see all these stories and more post daily on there um, about everything gig economy. But I would always tell you guys, if you see even on even on there, if you see an article and you're wanting to deep dive it a little more, just copy the name of the article, the title of the article and Google search it. See some other publications that come up with that same story. And, you know, not like AP circulation style ones that are just republished, but look for ones that are written in a different perspective and see if you can see if like they're aligning or if they're night and day different, you know. Um, I try and post stories on there that I find interesting and that I've kind of done that with. So, but I, I want you guys to feel comfortable. Make sure you're doing it too. So let's talk about this for a second. So this Uber teen, right? <sighs> I hate this story so much. Um, it's just, it's just not okay. So, and and as you're going to hear here, I think what they're trying to do very much is not, I mean, clearly Uber's not saying anything. Um, they're treating this differently because it's a 13-year-old boy. But I think we're going to find out that this was an Uber teen ride. So, police, so this, so we're talking about um, Washington, D.C., okay? Police are asking for the public's help to find a 13-year-old boy they saw uh, or they say was last seen in an Uber in Northeast D.C. The, Metro Metropolitan, uh, the Metropolitan Police Department shared a flyer for critically missing person Ronnie Lyons Jr. early Monday morning. He is considered critically missing because of his age. According to the police, Ronnie was last seen... Um, Sunday night around 9.30. He was last reported to be inside of an Uber ride at the intersection of New York Avenue Northeast and New Jersey Avenue Northeast. Now, earmark that for a quick second because we're going to come back to it. The circumstances of his disappearance have not been made public at this time. So, again, we're going to come back to this. So, the boy is described as 4 feet 8 inches tall, 65 pounds, brown eyes, um, wearing a white t-shirt and with a black hoodie, blue pants and gray New Balance shoes. So if you do know anything about this, um, you can uh, contact the police department at 202-727-9099. Again, 202-727-9099. Sorry, um, but here's the thing, guys. So now we back up and we go to um, 
he was last reported to be inside an Uber at the ride intersection at the intersection of New York Avenue Northeast and New Jersey Avenue Northeast. Okay, well, it's one thing if somebody said, I saw him get into an Uber. After that, I don't know. But it's not like somebody was standing on the curb and saw him go by in an Uber. So what am I led to believe here? I am led to believe he's using Uber Teen because Uber doesn't want to comment yet. And obviously, even the news can't push yet because this is a missing teen. This is a, like they call it, and it is a critical case. But it's allowing, here's my problem is it's, it's allowing time for um, Uber to come up with something to try and bury the fact that this is Uber Teen. So I think it's imperative we stay on top of this and make sure that we know why this happened. Because my guess is it was an Uber Teen ride Sunday night, 930, a 13-year-old boy. My guess is he didn't sneak out and get into an Uber, and maybe we'll find out more this week. I don't know. But here's the thing. Um, I think we're going to find out that he was using Uber Teen and that he was going from one place to another. And the last known location they had was this intersection that I've mentioned. Because most, because on the Uber Teen app, you can track your teen. So maybe the parents were tracking the teen and all of a sudden the signal went dead. Or the driver, again, I'm just putting this out there as potential. The driver takes the phone, throws it out the window at that intersection. You know, they get there and they find the phone or whatever. Um, the kid's phone, and that's what the parents had been tracking. But here's the thing. Again, how would you know, unless there's like, unless there is photo evidence of this kid being in the Uber, but see, like, I think that would be unlikely too, because the way the photo uh, tickets shoot, they just shoot down on the driver and the passenger, not the back seat. A 13-year-old kid would have to be in the back seat. So you wouldn't even from camera angles be able to see the kid. So my guess is, is that he was using Uber Teen. I think we're going to find that out. And even if he wasn't, I think this is a perfect example of why we've always said this shouldn't even exist. This should not exist. When I started with Uber and Lyft, this was one of the this was the only one that stayed true all the time. No unaccompanied minors, period. Period. And then everything else changed. Pay, the way this happens or this works, or hey, this and this and this. everything else on the platforms have changed. But they always stuck with that. Now they've noticed the uptick in people not getting their driver's license and they're trying to make people reliant on rideshare. I mean, it only makes sense, but at the same time, you cannot be sticking teens into Ubers and Lyfts with complete strangers. I mean, we... And and to, let's be honest, guys. I mean, most of us out there are good people that are just trying to do a service, make some money, and do the right thing. Um, but there are some bad people. And the problem is, and yes, some would still skirt tail through, but how good of a job are we doing checking? I mean, are we really... Because I can tell you from my perspective, using checker background check is not what I would call a bulletproof way of making sure that um, we're really doing deep dive background checks on these drivers. And so, you know, I mean, we know about checkers coming back wrong or letting people skirt through that that should have been flagged. So it's just not a good system. And I can tell you guys, it's under a $30 check. 
So if they're spending under 30 bucks to do a background check on you, it's not a deep dive. It's basically just to make sure that there's not felonies or something um, or things that they would absolutely need to know about and say, no, you can't onboard to the platform. Um, I don't know what else to say about this. This is one of this has been one of my biggest fighting points. On it's it's part of the reason I started UberLiftDrivers.com in 2017. I mean, it's been six years now, and a lot of it was at the time I was doing rideshare, and I was all the time like around midday. You know, a lot of us know that sometimes in the midday, like two, three o'clock, can be a little slow until you know, until just before rush hour kind of thing. But around here in Denver, um, and I know a lot of other big cities too, we would get pings to go to the high schools all the time. And what kids had done before Ubertine was they had downloaded the app to their phone, and it was their parents' app. Most of the time, if a kid came up to the car, um, so I would always just turn my dash cam onto the window, lock the doors, and I'd sit at the school and say, no, uh, I need to see that you're 18. I'm not taking an unaccompanied minor. And these were kids who admittedly said that, oh, I'm 16, 17 most times. Sometimes they tried to play it, but for the most part, they'd be honest. And then when I'd say, well, you can't take this without a parent, they would have their parent call me. And so I'd be sitting there, and this was all to get, what, a $5 cancellation fee? I mean, come on. This was more to make the point. I figured as a parent, if I talked to other parents and said, because look, at some things just get by us. So I wasn't, it's not to make people feel dumb. Like, why didn't you think of this? Why would you put your kid in an Uber? But at the same time, I wanted people to know. So when they, when the parents would call, I'd say, listen, it's, we are not able to take unaccompanied minors. Um, it's for insurance reasons. Our insurance doesn't have us. And I would tell them, and even Uber and Lyft don't have you. So if anything happens to your child, it falls on us, the drivers. So um, I said, you know, for that reason and for the reasons of the community standards of rideshare, I cannot take your teen. And I've had parents get very upset, um, you know, because obviously they're at work. They're counting on their kid to get this ride home. Um, and as a parent, I can tell you, you know, in those kind of situations, you start scrambling. Who else could pick them up? What else could I do? But if you're just like... Oh, I, I'm I'm in a meeting. I I got I cannot figure anything out. You're gonna kind of like try and negotiate with this rideshare driver. But here's my thing: like, who cares what you're doing? Shouldn't you be able to drop it and either go get your kid, tell him to stay at the school till you get there? I know it's not ideal, but we all as parents need to be willing to do that. I mean, and so here's my thing. Here's the biggest part of it, though, is that why on earth? And I understand that it's it's a business thing, but it was like the one thing where Uber and Lyft showed that they actually cared was not letting minors in the car. And by doing this, they literally are like, listen, our business is down. We need to make a profit. We have decided to roll the dice. And they know that many of their drivers are foreign, um, speak different languages, um, the dialect can sound much different from other people's dialect. Um, so something they might be saying something that's not mean, but it might come across as mean or harsh. But a lot of these drivers also don't know. So they just think, okay, I'll just take, yeah, I'm just taking this person. And especially if a parent were to call and say, no, no, take them. You know, a lot of times the, you know, the translation isn't even that good. So it's like, okay, well, all right, fine. Well, that driver has no idea what he's being put under. 
And um, I still, to this day, I will say, not only do I believe it's wrong, I don't believe that these rideshare companies are properly insured. And I, and I can guarantee you guys, if you call your rideshare company and ask them what the coverage is for unaccompanied minors now that the platform allows it, so even if you do have a rideshare license or whatever, or insurance, the, the correct kind, and they have those compact models now and whatnot, but even if you have that, they're going to say, no, you can't take unaccompanied minors. Because we know that other companies have tried to do startups and do this same thing. We're going to do minors. Okay, well, they're all out of business because they found out the insurance costs. The only one that's really still in business, there might be a couple little stragglers, but is Hop, Skip, Drive. Hop, Skip, Drive does an incredible background check. Their drivers are W-2 employees. So this is a completely different model. Hop, Skip, Drive is a completely different model. To just say, hey, rideshare drivers, pick up kids. That's not, no, that is not what we're doing. Um, so that said, if you, you know, listen, if you're doing rideshare and you've thought, listen, they wouldn't put this on the platform unless it was okay to do it. Yeah, they would. Uber Connect has been in federal investigations for um, for drug drug muling and other things like that. These companies do live testing. They do live testing of all kinds of things, and they see what what flies, what doesn't. They they all the time are throwing up a hail mary, and then somebody from the state or the federal government contacts them and says, "Hey, this is out of regulation. What are you doing, taking kids?" And then they still have to get that all taken care of and before it's removed. So this is just, I mean, a bad idea all around. And I would tell you guys that if you are transporting minors, um. Please, please look deeper into this. Call your insurance. Call a different insurance if you don't want to call yours and flag it and just talk to them. Just say, hey, is this covered? Am I allowed to take kids that uh, don't have an adult with them? Because my guess is they're going to say absolutely 100% not. And you want to make sure that you're covered because a $8 Uber ride to take a teenager home and you get sideswiped, and it's not even your fault, but you get sideswiped and the kid dies, you're on the hook. Your insurance isn't and Uber's not, and they're not going to be there for you. Now, oh, coming up on the end here. So, Cruise Autonomous. Nationwide, California. Federal probe into Autonomous. So last week, and maybe we talked about this a little on the podcast, I know we did on a couple lives last week, but um, California revoked the license of Cruise Autonomous in San Francisco. And it was a no, there was a no slow get out. They were just like, you're done, get out of here. And it was related to the girl that got hit and pinned by the Cruise Autonomous vehicle. Now that is in San Francisco, that is not the first case of something happening with these autonomous vehicles. The fire department has major issues with them. The police department does. The mayor's office does. The county commissioner does. But only Gavin or Newsom was the one who took the the incentive and said, yeah, we'll let you live test here. So everything's gone wrong. Um, you know, sex in the cars, putting cones in there, um, just things to they get stuck in intersections um, just you, you you can't name the amount of issues they have 
We know that most of the components on the autonomous operate, and I actually went and got this number because I always say 70, but depending on the component, operate, and I'm going to be nice here because it's actually like 77.8 is what I read, but operate between 70 and 80% efficiency. That means the LIDAR, which detects if people are around. Um, we know the LIDAR fails in snow, cold weather, rain, hail. Um, I mean, these are... <laughs> so weather, it, they don't work. Um, yeah, it's it, Look, we're so far out from true autonomous. I was glad to see this happen. Now, Cruise is based out of Texas, and they operate in Austin, too. In Austin, there has luckily knock wood, there has not been a fatality or um, or anything like this person getting pinned or or like that. But what they have had is a lot of congestion. Now, in Austin is where I was talking about that there's a lot of like these cruise vehicles, um, and you've probably even seen maybe this on the news or whatever, they get jammed up in an intersection or trying to pull into a parking lot, and they can cause traffic jams for hours trying to get these things out. Um, so again, having autonomous vehicles operating in a very small percentage of vehicles that are predominantly, like 99% plus in every, any market that they're in are operated by humans just doesn't work. How is autonomous supposed to gauge human nature until it like understands it? Look at I mean, if we had to, if we had to go with autonomous today, I would say we have to have a model of all autonomous or no autonomous. Maybe there's a a day down the road where, you know, autonomous and people can mix. I don't know. I I can't look that far into research. I mean, nobody can. We just don't know what you'll come up with. But to me, the two right now definitely don't work, and we know the components don't work. So. After they were kicked out of California, it's been questionable and the federal probe that's been happening on all autonomous companies was put into place, um, specifically looking into Cruz, but also looking into Waymo and others. And so um, in Austin, they shut Cruz themselves, after they were kicked out of California, Cruz shut down uh, California or, or autonomous in Austin, Texas. So they decided, you know what, just take that off the table too. Back to the drawing board. Let's just get these things off the road. So I think when they got kicked out of California, it wasn't like, well, with that federal probe, let's just stop. I think it was a clear example of, we know that we shouldn't even be testing these. We just know these cities pay us a lot of money to let us test these dangerous vehicles live with people. And that is, I'm, I'm, that is it, point blank. They get paid a lot of these companies get paid or these cities get paid a lot of money to let these companies in. Um, so Cruise is kind of stepping out of the game, you know, and obviously um, that affects Ford. Ford was very tied to Cruise in a big way. I mean, Cruise is, uh, yeah, I mean, that that's who they were going to be working with. But like I've said before, I mean, we're kind of going back to like level three autonomous, which is like, you know, bring you back on the road and uh, a parking assist and things like that. Like that's where we're at with autonomous. I know that we want to jump to autonomous level five, but you know what? We're not at full autonomous. 
So quit trying to push it there. I mean, these robot delivery things too. I mean, the whole thing. And that's I won't spin out on that on the robot part because I want to focus on the rideshare. It is really time that this happened um, because enough enough testing things that not only don't work but are putting people in danger. Um, now, again, I'm going to I'm going to point out how PR was used here in cruises during cruises horrible time dealing with this and making the the correct decision to shut down Austin what what happened in the news if you so last like friday if you google searched rideshare uber or um lyft you might you know you might have seen an article about autonomous but my guess is it was on waymo autonomous in ubers because they took advantage of this because if you googled autonomous rideshare on friday all you saw for the first three pages were cruise autonomous being shut down by, by federal probes. What happened in San Francisco? What happened with the girl being pinned? What happened with the car that sank into the cement? What happened with the car that blocks or, or the, the cruises that have blocked the firehouses that the trucks have literally had to plow through? Um, the fire trucks on calls. Um, you know, that's where that's what the news for like three pages of Google. Most of us probably don't go past a first page Google search very often. But the first three pages, if you did autonomous, was that. If you went to Uber or Rideshare, it wasn't even just Uber news like normal. It was two to three pages of Uber and Waymo taking advantage of this. Like to me, it's like, well, the federal probe is still going on, and that involves Waymo. Don't think that you're out of the you guys aren't in the clear, you know. Um, but so what did they do? They decided, you know what, let's let's throw it all at the wall and see what sticks. And they did. They um they they're they're tripling down in Maricopa County. Maricopa County is Phoenix, Arizona, and now in the Phoenix, Arizona area, and I'm talking about all of it. We're not just talking about paths from the airport to this or that or whatever. Um, but we're talking about all of it. Like the whole Phoenix area is the purple map now. And when you call for an Uber, you might get a Waymo driverless. My feeling is, is that like at the same time when California kicked out Cruise, there, were, there was a push to get Waymo into LA much harder than they are. Drivers and others were saying, hell no. They were fighting this. And that pushing back. So I think the whole California thing's on a little bit of pause with any autonomous. So I think, you know, clearly the biggest market for Waymo is uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and it has been for a while. Phoenix is where Waymo One operates. Um, for a long time, if you wanted to go take a Waymo autonomous, you had to be somewhat involved with the Waymo One progress program. I'm not saying you had to work for him. I don't really know what it took to get into the Waymo pro program, but it wasn't as easy as like Uber. You couldn't just download the Waymo app, put your credit card in and call for autonomous vehicles. You had to have NDAs signed. You had to do this, that, and the other. I mean, even myself, when I took a, um, the autonomous in Vegas, it had two engineers in the front. So there were two engineer drivers up front, um, not just a safety driver but two people up front. Um, so that's not driverless. Um, these are, and 
I think they're just really doubling down. Now, remember, Maricopa County, <coughs> excuse me, Phoenix, Arizona, is where the driver, um, the safety driver got put at blame for hitting and killing the pedestrian years back. Now, it was the car's fault, but they were able to pin it on the safety driver who was making, what, 25, 30 bucks an hour and then had to incur legal bills for four years and whatnot and all kinds of screwing around. But now here they are again in Maricopa County where they're not very well accepted anyway. And they're, and again, why would they, let me, let me make this clear. Why would they be in Phoenix, Arizona of all places? Because Phoenix doesn't have, I mean, yes, they have some hard rains and whatnot, but you could just shut down the cars for a few hours during those, but they don't have snow. They don't have this. They don't have the other. A lot of weather factors don't exist in the desert. So it's a good place to test it. However, where people live is not a good place to test it. So they're throwing everything at the wall and they're saying, we're going to go, we're going to allow autonomous now. And they're using the PR. And all we can do is stay fingers crossed that like with this 13-year-old boy, when they did the Uber teen and decided, hey, you know, we'll just let teens ride now, even though that's always been against company policy. Um, we'll just let it happen. Okay, well, now we're seeing some fallout from that. And we're going to see more if they keep if they keep allowing this. Um but now it's the same thing with these. Waymo wants to operate and allow you to, to hail driverless cars through the Uber app. Well, I don't think so. Because, I mean, again, checkboxes are becoming a thing of the past. So just saying, I accept the terms of blah, blah, blah. If they're not having you sign some kind of NDA, I'm not sure those checkboxes are going to hold up in court. Because to be honest... Judges are getting pretty sick of those. And we've seen that in California, um, where they're allowing the sexual allegations case to now have 93 people's claims go through um, in, in, one, in one court under one judge. Um, that kind of goes against the terms of service, which has always been you need to go to arbitration. Well, they're letting this one judge is letting it happen. So I think Judges, I think we're going to see more and more of that. Judges starting to step around. No, 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 that checkbox doesn't do it for me. I'm going to require, you know, they're going to start having their own interpretations of this, which we've been seeing coming for a while. So, you know, as interested in the driverless stuff as I am, um, you know, I don't know. If, if you're in Maricopa County and um, you do happen to take one, I would love to hear from you guys. Uh even if you're somehow listening to this and you're a passenger or you're a driver who knows a passenger who has taken an autonomous once or twice, please let them email me, steve at rideshareradio.com. Uh, I really would love to talk to them um, because if you're down there and you get one making you feel special, like you've been selected to ride in an autonomous vehicle, would you like to do this? Look, you're not going to be the one to legally get screwed, but you could get injured, hurt, or be involved in somebody else getting hurt. And I guess that's really where I'm at. Would you want to be in the back of an autonomous car if it hits and kills a pedestrian or a child, for God's sake? I mean, would you want, even though it's not your vehicle, you didn't do it, that's that's pretty scarring. 
That's something that's not going to go away. You're going to remember that even though you're not the operator of the car, it's not your fault. Um, that's going to change your life. So I would say don't take those cars. Look at if they're operating at between 70 and 80% efficiency, and those are just the parts, and then the AI combined with how it does with human drivers, which you don't know what to expect from a human driver, um, it just doesn't work. And the way that they handle them, like none of us know what to expect from a human driver. Somebody could spill coffee on themselves, swerve into your lane, and you know, you're going to have to do your evasive driving however you would. But the bottom line is at least you are able to do it. The way that these cars are trained, they're like trained to try and stay on the road. It can cause bigger problems. It's like that lady being run over. She was hit by the other car, but the LIDAR didn't tell the system to stop the Waymo car even before she was hit. That car should have, the, if, if Autonomous was working, a good sign of proof would have been if that car had stopped before it ran her over. Um, because it saw her crossing not in a crosswalk during traffic. The cruise just should have stopped, but it kept going with the pace of traffic, even with this person crossing. Now, the driver on in the other lane did hit her. She came in, and, and it ran her over. You know, so, I mean, it, you know, we've talked about, was it, wasn't it the first driver's responsibility, though? Of course. I mean, that was a hit and run. But the cruise could have stopped beforehand, not on top of her. Which leads me to this. Are gig workers deeply burned out by the algorithm? So on October 25th on uberliftdrivers.com, rideshowrodeo.com, there is an article about this. Go check it out. It has the basic summary in the beginning of the article on the website, and it gets into like, it, it gives you the fi- like what they're going for in the summary. And then it has the first part of the study. And if you want to see the complete thing, go to the bottom, click it. It'll take you to the complete study because it's very interesting. But um, yes, uh, the algorithms are burning people out. And without getting too far into the details of it, it's kind of proven in this. There are some other things that are proven though too. Like, you know, does it keep your positive attitude up? And some of the gamification that I hate has shown that it does. So some people have their positive attitude kept up on the hope of better rides. But those hope of better rides lies in the fact that you hope that, and what the real hope is, is that you hope that algorithm happens to randomly spit you the good rides. Do I think the algorithm's out to get people? No. There might be certain drivers that it, you know, the drop beneath a bad, hit a bad rating, like one of the lowest that they'll accept kind of thing. Maybe that does affect it, you know, who knows. But there's other factors that just, we don't even know what the fact is, but they don't know. An algorithm doesn't know your name. It just recognizes you as a, as a, as a data point. So it's sending out things to these data points. It doesn't go, that's my favorite data point. I'm going to get all my good offers to him. That's not how it works. So there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff going on here, but gig workers are burnt out. And one of the things that the study shows is that the burnout is deep, deep, deep too, because it talks about not only the hours you... Like, let's say that you work DoorDash for 10 hours. And of that 10 hours, let's just 
be very easy here. Let's say that your active time is five of those 10 hours. This study took that into compliance too. Um, I've always said you have to track the amount of hours you work to find out your pay based on the hours you're in your car, not the hours you're active. But the same thing was done for this study. They took into account, well, wait a minute. What about the hours that they're sitting there denying? And they took the stress levels into, into gauge here um, about like, well, the stress of not getting a good order and having to decline 20 to get one and having to constantly flash back to this screen. I mean, all of us know this should be no surprise. This isn't even gig-related people. All of us need less screen time. And it's tough these days, but all of us need less screen time. I mean, I can't tell you. I mean, I know that we all see this. We're not... Even years ago, we were seeing this. But now, people like have their phone in their hand. We might as well just attach it to the hand. You know, if, you, if you're right-handed then we would attach the phone to your left. If you're left-handed, we'll attach it to the right. Might as well just have it on your hand because that's kind of like what it is. We're living in phones. We need to start living back in the world and using technology, but not going too far with it. Um, but I think that part of the study shows that this, the fact that you're going to have, it's almost like the fact that you're going to have your phone in your hand, whether you're home or in your car, why not be in your car and be working? Because that stress does lead to way higher chances of accidents, um, this, that, the other, you know, that you'll doze off. R gig work is now in, I, I've mentioned this before, but it's, you know, this isn't an article you need to go hunt out anymore. You can go look this stat up. Gig work is in the 10 most dangerous um professions in the United States right now. There's a few reasons for this. There are so many people, part-time and full-time in the gig app-based economy. Um, so many. So that makes, first of all, that's the numbers are so high that of course, most likely that's where the most incidents will be. But it's not just crimes or being carjacked or potentially being injured or killed. It's that the fatigue of looking at screens, eye burnout, then doing rides and not knowing your limit, you know, or or having a dollar value that oh, I need to hit that 150 before I go home, I'm getting tired, I'll just get that last cup of coffee and work hour 13. No, you can't do that. And you can't do that day after day. It is starting to wear on people and they are noticing this. And even part of the study deeper into it goes in to say that, um, even people, it was shown that people who do this 60 hours a week on the apps, plus um, some of them upward of 70, 80, if given five, six days off after, even when they come back, the drain comes back in them. Even though they feel energized, the drain of it, if they're a veteran, comes back into play. Um, it's almost like muscle memory. It's like your brain is kicking into gear of like, oh yeah, this is this again. And so, you know, I don't know. We we just we need to be overly careful. If you are doing gig work, do not text and drive. There are so many apps to help you with this. Um, you guys, I I mean, really take a look at this study. But the burnout is becoming very real. And if you're working crazy, crazy, crazy hours doing gig work, I can say this: there is seasonal work. And again, you guys might be going, "Oh my god!" You know, don't tell me to get out of the gig world. I'm not. 
I'm saying that if you need to take a partial break, there's like seasonal work, other things where you can be independent. You can be an independent contractor and you can still do some gig work. But now you can do it on your terms. So I'm trying to get to a point where I'm trying to, you know, I'm not saying that you'll influence it, but teach the algorithm a thing or two. You know, if it's always slamming between five and eight in your market to do food delivery, then work five to eight and have a, have a side gig through the holidays to see if these gig apps pick back up or when they do. The economy's down too, guys. I mean, this is not gig app related only, but, you know, like I've always said, multiple streams of income anyway. So why not diversify a little bit? You know, even if it's like, you know, whatever it might be. Let's say that, let's say you have an opportunity to sell some Christmas trees through the season. Do that. You know, you might be like, dude, I don't, I'm not looking to stand outside and make a living selling Christmas trees one month a year. No, you're not. But the economy is pretty bad. So if you can do that to help get you through and reduce your time in the car, all the better. You know, anything that anything you can do to reduce your time in the car, especially those down hours. Like I got to tell you, doing last mile courier apps like I do, I I don't mind doing the long hauls and the long orders and stuff because I know when that's done, I'm going home. So in my head, my head focuses differently than sitting there waiting for pings and and hoping on $2 base pays and things like that. I see these like bigger dollar offers and I say, okay, well, I'm going to take that. And it might be a long haul. It might be, you know, whatever. But um, bottom line is that... Uh, you know, I'm I'm basically seeing a big offer. I'm doing it. And then if I see more, I might do those. But I also know when to cap it and quit. And I usually have made as much as the people hustling around town. So the other thing is the wear and tear on your car and the wear and tear on you around the city is much tougher. And I'm not saying last miles for everybody. Sometimes it involves carrying massive amounts of weight and things like that. So it's not for everybody. But start diversifying even your gig work portfolio, other things, whatever. That said, about diversifying, check out ParaWorks, you guys, and ParaPass. Um, lots of good orders coming through on ParaWorks. ParaPass is still being built out in most markets. Um, it is in mine, and it is allowing you to skip the line with onboarding to certain apps. It was only one. Now it's like three, and it depends on your market. And Fuda in Chicago, and there's you know there's so many different ones that we're working with now that um, the orders that are coming through are pretty good. You know we might start getting into some other spaces here soon. Right now it's mo mostly catering orders. And with that said, I want to tell you guys about one last thing. This Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on YouTube Rideshare Rodeo or YouTube Para Gig Smarter, you can see Chris Heffernan, who is the CEO of Delivered, a last mile um, catering app that is taking a lot of markets by storm right now and paying much better than the DoorDash and other catering offers that most people see. Um, and we're going to have Chris, the CEO of Delivered on, and David and I are going to talk to him about the model um, this year, 
looking into next year, the markets they're in. But more than that, we invite you, the drivers, to come in. Now, you can come into the para-official um, Facebook group. You can come on to Rideshare Rodeo YouTube channel. You can go onto the Para YouTube channel, and you can get in the live Q&A, and you can ask Chris any questions you have. So if you've ever been interested in Delivered or you're looking to onboard to that next thing, again, first, Para works. Parapass probably is not available to you because it's only in like seven markets right now. So to most people hearing this, it won't be. It might be. Check it out. And at least touch it in the app and see if it is or, you know, let them know you're interested. But Paraworks is. So get on that. And if you've been interested in other ways, make sure to check out Thursday's interview with Chris because I'm telling you guys, this is another great opportunity. These are what we love, transparent offers, fully upfront. You see all the details, the full pay, no hidden tips, no hidden money. This is how much you'll make. This is where you pick up. This is where you drop off. This is how many miles it is. This is what time you need to pick up. All the details are there like they should be. There's no games and guessing, and that's how it should be. We love transparency, and that's how all these gig apps should, should be. So that said... Catch that on Thursday. On Wednesdays, every week, catch The Last Mile. Um, you can catch The Last Mile on YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook on the Rideshare Rodeo channels. Um, you can catch it at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, every Wednesday. And it does drop on the audio format every Thursday. So you guys, that is the week and we're going to be following all these stories because they're they're kind of, you know, sometimes we get closure stories. These are a lot of open-ended ones. Um, this 13-year-old that's missing, we need closure to that. And I'm sure we'll have some kind of closure here soon because they're only going to be able to evade another day or two before they're going to have to say why this kid was in the Uber. Did he take Uber teen? How was this done? Um, the federal probe on all autonomous um, and what Cruz is up to. We're going to stay on top of that. Um, as we go into the holidays, lift or gig worker burnout and the major oversaturation of, of orders and the um, lower um, order volume coming in. I mean, there's just too many drivers. There already was, but now there's not as many orders. So it's, look, guys, it's not that the platforms are dead. It's that people are having to watch their money a lot more because it's not just the gig economy everybody's having to watch their money. So with that said, you guys, join us Wednesday, join us Thursday. And uh, on Friday, of course, on the audio podcast, you will catch the R3 Rideshare Rodeo Roundtable, the one and only, coming up soon on its second year, um, where we always discuss lots of great topics. So hopefully we'll be discussing some of these and some other ones. Um, we're going to be moving into more of a topical-based type show. We will still cover the two or three or four top stories of the week, but we're also going to cover topics and what's interesting our panelists. So um, check that out, and you guys, be safe, earn smart, and we'll see you back here next week on Rodeo. <laughs>